What if you took your favorite movie characters, pulled them out of the movies, then laid them down on a psychologist's couch, and popped open their brain, and kind of poked around inside? Well, not exactly like that. What if we took a doctor of clinical psychology and a wise-ass, put them together, and made him watch a movie? Then, we had the psychologist figure out all the stuff going on in the character's head. You know, the stuff that makes him tick. What's going on inside the minds of our favorite movie characters? That's what we're here to figure out. So, grab some popcorn. Because this is Cinema Psych. Well, welcome to episode number one. So it's always super awkward that when you kick off a podcast because it's the first episode. Nobody knows what to expect. So let me introduce my partner in crime, Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh. Hi, how are you doing? Everybody? All right. So here's the deal. Jamie and I have been friends for years. And where'd you go to school? Undergrad at State University of New York at Oswego. Uh, and then I went to uh, Chestnut Hill College Okay. Um, for my master's and my doctorate. So Jamie's the expert. I'm essentially the audience. I'm the guy who goes, yeah, I wonder what that would be. Because there's a lot of stuff I think in psychology that the average person, John Doe, Jane Doe, thinks they kind of know, mm-hmm. but really doesn't really know. So why not just skip all the I don't know and, and WebMD and Googling stuff and just ask the guy who knows this stuff. So we're going to do it through movies, which we both like. Yes. All right. So without further ado, let's start this thing. Our first patient was created by George Lucas and has been portrayed by numerous actors over a long film series. He was portrayed by bodybuilder David Prowse in the original film trilogy and by stunt performer Bob Anderson during the character's intense lightsaber fight scenes. Jake Lloyd and Hayden Christensen portrayed him in the prequel movies. He was voted the third greatest movie villain in cinema history in the last 100 years by the American Film Institute. He's most famously known by his outfit with signature black helmet. His costume is said to be a mixture of World War II Nazi soldier and samurai warrior. His cape, jack boots, and his one-of-a-kind breathing apparatus mixed with the deep, deep bass voice that gave him his sinister persona from the legendary James Earl Jones. From the Death Star to I am your father. On the couch today, we get inside the mind of Darth Vader. We figure we might as well start with a character everybody knows yeah. to love to hate. Yes. Uh, so what's going on with Darth Vader? There's a lot of stuff going on in his head. Why does he do all the crazy things? The nice thing about the Star Wars saga is it basically takes the six films, the seven if you count like Rogue One, and, right. and it basically walks us through essentially like a kid that starts out as like a good kid like if you remember the phantom menace the original anakin skywalker is like a good kid he's like really interested in people wants to help people and then as you walk through the first three it kind of shows how he changes into becoming darth vader and the things and events that happen in his life that get him to go to that place it, it wasn't set up like that i mean when no. they had the first star wars it was just the guy just trying to make a cool movie and next thing you know there's three of them and that was it until they go oh, well now we can tell this tell this whole story arc mm-hmm. but i'll be honest like you know i consider myself a star wars fan Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not reading fan fiction or anything like that, yes. but I'm into the movies. And I remember just what you said is watching Anakin Skywalker was a cool kid. I knew the whole time that he eventually was going to, spoiler alert, become Darth <laughs> Vader. But yeah, I fell for it. I was like, he's just a cool kid. I wonder what's going to happen. Although, if I had paid attention to the rest of the movies, of course, I knew what was going to happen. But you do. You fall for that kid, and he's a good kid. Yeah, he's a good kid. And then you can just see, like, there's little things that kind of build up, which is usually what happens with normal people. Like, we have one thing, we don't think much of it, and then there's another thing, and another thing and it finally just sometimes a weight can crush us and I think for him same kind of thing happens like he has these things these events in his life these rejections that we can talk about in his life and then he doesn't know how to deal with them and then he eventually falls into the dark side yeah we can go there alright so what were the rejections in Anakin Skywalker let's go through them okay so the first rejection that really happens is the one where he leaves Tatooine alright so he's right. a nine year old kid so he's like the slave and he's yeah, building he's slave. stuff and racing exactly. pod he, racing 
Yeah, pod racing. <laughs> and he, you know, gets picked up by uh, the Qui-Gon Jinn and Padme. Kind of make a good connection with him. Basically, Qui-Gon Jinn says, you know, you're kind of the one. Like, you're going to be the one that's going to bring balance back to the Force, as they say. No pressure. No pressure at all. I mean, it's a lot for a nine-year-old to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I could have done it at nine years old. <laughs> he's basically given a choice, okay? And he's given a choice to either stay with his mom on this planet, which he loves his mom. And that's a major attachment that he has in his life. His only attachment. His only real attachment because he has no father. His father is made of metachlorians. Right, we don't know. I don't know what that means. Um, Immaculate conception. Exactly, the immaculate conception of Star Wars. So he basically makes a choice between, I'm going to leave the one thing I love to become this great entity, and I'm going to go with this guy. Don't even know him. I've known him for... I don't know, a couple of days, I raced a pod for him, things like yeah, that. Yeah, sounds good. Stranger danger. Let's just skip exactly. go with the guy. So he goes, and he gets presented in front of the Jedi Council, and he, he has all the tools. Like He's able to go through all the tests and things like that, and at the end of it, they say, no, no, you're not going to be trained. And that's like the first initial rejection that he has, okay. essentially. I don't think I looked at it like that, but now you're saying it, I get it. Yeah, because imagine like you left the one thing that you love most in this world, and you go to become this thing, and you get there, and they say that you can't do it. That's going to affect you in some sort of way. Sure. So he has that initial rejection. I mean, as we continue to move through, he starts to develop their relationship with Padme, essentially. Mm-hmm. And in the second movie, Attack of the Clones, you know, he kind of puts himself out there. He's like, I love you and things like that. And she, she kind of rejects him. But as we know, in the back of the mind, like she kind of like likes him, likes him, right. but doesn't really want to let But she's out. got professional duties. Exactly. And she thinks he's got professional duties and would be shirking them if they got together. They're not supposed to be together. But still, he's still rejected. He's still rejected. He's rejected by her. And, you know, it only comes out as they're pretty much facing death that she's like, I do care about you. But there's still that initial rejection. So maybe he starts to develop in his mind, like, does she really care about me? It only came out in, like, these stressful situations, which sometimes happens. So obviously they start to develop a relationship. But there's two major rejections that go on. Now we move into the last movie. And he hasn't really attached to anyone. And I think that's one of the big things that we find, or I find when I, when I look at Darth Vader, is he has no real attachments. Like, after his mom dies, he has nothing. He had Qui-Gon Jinn, who kind of believed in him a little bit. He dies. He's kind of attached to Padme, but it has to be in secret. Like, it's not like he can let everyone know that he has, like, this great thing that he loves. And then he has a brotherly, fatherly attachment, I guess, we'll say, to Obi-Wan Kenobi. But Obi-Wan Kenobi is almost kind of like a harsh father figure. Like, he's always critical of him, wants to make sure, because Anakin's supposed to have these great abilities. And... Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't let him realize that. So it's always through the lens of like, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong sort of thing. And then the final rejection I think that happens is in the last movie when he gets to be on like the Jedi Council, the Emperor wants him to be on the Jedi Council and the Jedi Council says, well, you can be on the Council, but you can't be a Jedi essentially. He's the only person now on this Council and he's not a Jedi. And I think that really has an impact on him. So now- You left your mom to go do this thing and now you still can't do it. Still can't do, still can't do. You have an attachment to your wife because they end up getting married, but like no one can know about it. The one father figure that you have is good, but he's kind of critical. And the thing that you want to realize, the thing you want to do most in this world, people are telling you can't do. That's where the emperor kicks in. He starts to develop an attachment with the emperor, who you get the sense they don't really show it. So he, so at this point, he's searching for any connection whatsoever. Yeah. And he found this dude, which unfortunately is on the dark side. Yeah. He's a he's a bad guy. But he's the guy who recognizes, hey, he he could use a, a little a little connection, a little a little guidance. I'll guide him over here. Yeah. You can give him a little push. And he fed him everything you wanted it. Exactly. He, to he almost like fed into narcissism. I guess we'll call it. He fed into narcissism. Like you are great. You're better than everybody else. You're better than everybody else, and And they're they're holding you back. Okay. And for like a 14, 15 year old, like you want to hear that stuff. 19 year old. So it's like, yeah, so I'm going to go with this guy. But he comes to this 
almost like a fork in the road. Like he, he realizes the emperor is a bad guy, but in the sense of like, he also knows that Padme is going to die. Like he has these visions that Padme is going to die and he's the only one that can help him. So it almost comes to this choice point of like, I have nothing in my life. I have no strong attachments to anything outside of the belief. Like I'm supposed to be the one that's supposed to save the world essentially. Or I can go with this guy that can save the one thing that I have in my life. I'm going to go with him. Right. Like there's that, there's that uh, scene with Samuel Jackson or, or Mace Windu where he's essentially going to kill the emperor. Mm-hmm. And Anakin's like, no. And he just kind of throws him out the window. When Padme dies, he has no real attachment. So he just becomes, like they say, in A New Hope, like he's more of a machine now than his man. But I think what brings him back at the end, essentially, is because he has an attachment again. He has a child. You know, he has a son and a daughter. So which which part of the movie do you mean he's coming? Which part of the, the, the series? So now we're, going to the, now we're going to Return of the Jedi. So we're going all the way to the end. And he's at that... The fight scene. Like, yeah, the fight scene. The choice point of like, I can destroy the a thing that I think I can love in my in my son, and I know I now I have a daughter because mm-hmm. I figured that out. Or I can continue to work for this individual. Is work the right term? I don't know if it works. Serve, right. serve. Yes, be a dark lord under. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure what the four hundred one k package is, but yeah, I don't the powers know. seem nice. Yeah, it's a very very. It's not very lucrative. It doesn't seem like right. Doesn't like get your own palace or something like that. All the tie fighters you want. Exactly. I'm not really sure how they pay. <laughs> but you can continue to serve this person, or you can develop an attachment because that's what that kid wants the like whole the, time. The whole time. That's all that little kid wants. Like when we watch the Phantom Menace, or when people watch the Phantom Menace, like he's following Padme and he's following Qui Gon Jinn around, like trying to connect with them, and eventually he does. So ultimately, it's Darth Vader walking around saying, will someone just love me a little bit? Yeah, will someone care about me outside of my mom? Because I want to help. I want to do things. Like, um, one of the lines that his mom says is, like, he gives without wanting. He doesn't know greed and things like that. Like, this kid definitely wants something. I mean, he seems like he has friends that help him, like, but he's looking for, maybe it's a father figure, and he sees it in Qui-Gon Jinn. Or, or another mother, after he knows his mother's dead, in, exactly. in Padme. Or a mate. Like, we all look for mates. We all want to share some sort of a relationship with someone at some point in time. So I think that those lack of attachments and the rejection that he has really kind of feed into him becoming Darth Vader. And at the end, what turns him back to, you know, that moment when they're on the Death Star and Jedi and it's blowing up and essentially he's like, you were right about me, Luke. You were right that I am a good person. I just had nothing to be good for, essentially. He had that entire life experience, which essentially turned him into it. Because we saw him as a kid. Yeah. He was lovable. He was a good kid. He had all good intentions. And he just kept getting, I don't know, the world kept kicking him and putting him down. Until he said, you know what? Fine. I'm going to take this goodness. And I'm going to literally turn into the dark side. Yeah. I have nothing left to give. Because the one thing that I truly cared about, my wife, who has is going to have my baby, is now dead. So what else do I got going for me? I can be all powerful. How do you see this play out in real life? What's like a real life example that you can give in a patient? How do you see people react to this in everyday life? One of my assumptions about people is that we don't come out bad. Uh, We don't come out of the womb as like a bad individual. There's things that happen in our life that turn us into who we are. So maybe it's uh, impingements that have come across. Maybe it's situations that happened to you as a kid. Maybe it's rejections that you had. But there's things that build us up into who we are. And I think that's everybody. That's That's nothing clinical. Like we have adversities that we need to come over. We have successes that we need to celebrate. But I don't think anyone comes out of the womb a bad person or maybe an overly good person. We just come out as is. We come out as a baby and then we kind of get created into who we are essentially. So when I always tell people when I when I work with them is I, I say at this moment, you are not responsible for who you are. You are this way because of the way you were raised and things that happened in your life and the way that you dealt with it. But from this moment moving forward, you are responsible for who you become. So let's work on finding things that help you to become the person that you want to become. And that's a good way for someone, I'm envisioning myself, if I were 
are sitting on on your couch, it's a good way to kind of envision that. Okay, like whatever happened happened, mm-hmm. but now I've got to step up and take control. But it's yeah. it's not like I have to. I can't I can't atone for all the sins of the past, but mm-hmm. I can move forward. Yeah, and it's it's almost along the lines of like we can't erase your past. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have that thing in Men in Black where they stick it in your the face. Neuralizer, we should have that. Yeah, though. that would be that would be awesome. <laughs> your <laughs> job would be really easy. Yeah, my job would I would probably be non-existent to be honest. <laughs> Someone's got to push the button. Exactly, but like we don't have that, so our past is always going to have an impact on us. It's just how much space in our mind does it take up? Gotcha. It doesn't have to take up as much space as sometimes it does. Right. So things in your life can be a sentence in your life. It can be a paragraph in the in the story of your life, or it can be your entire story. It's what you want to do moving forward, essentially. Yeah. You choose. Take control. Yeah. What can you do to help help yourself move forward, essentially? All right. So Darth Vader, we know what happens to him. He has attachments. He loses somebody. He has an attachment. He loses somebody. He has a goal. He can't achieve it. He eventually flips to the dark side. And that's kind of where we started with Darth Vader with movies uh, 4, 5, 6. Yep. So how does he deal with his emotions? Like if he were laying on the couch right now and he were telling you his story, what would you be hearing from from the, the breathing apparatus of Darth Vader? <laughs> well, I, th- I think that he's a person who really doesn't like strong emotions. Like he doesn't like feeling them. I, I would say he's like a like a very emotionally labile individual. Which so kind of, means what? Kind of all over the place. Like we have these emotions. We're not sure what to do with them. Okay. Well, I can, you can see that from Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah, you can see, like, the behaviors, you know, the things that he says. Even he says at one point, like, people ask him to be rational, and he really he doesn't feel like he can be rational. Like, we try and find a good balance between our brain and our heart, you know, we've, or our brain and our emotions, and sometimes our emotions overwhelm us, essentially. And that's kind of what he says, like, after, after his mom dies. Can't ask me to be rational because I can't. And then as he moves forward, he also says like I'm. Oh, is that when he went out and slaughtered all the sand people? Right, right, right. Slaughtered all the sand people. And then at one point he says, "Well, I'm better than emotions. Like I'm above them." So he doesn't really know what to do with them. I can't think about them, but I'm also better than them. So he's kind of really all over the place with the way that he feels and and how he begins to manage them. And I think for him, that could have started like. When he was a slave, he talks about himself like, I have to do what I do and I can't run away because if I, I run away, I get blown up essentially. And like imagine having that hanging over your head sure. all day, every day. Yeah. Like, for him, it really goes in extremes. So I imagine that during that time of his life, like he really doesn't know how to regulate his emotions. He goes back and forth. Like for a lot of us, we can, we know like we're feeling something. Well, let's start to think about why we're feeling this, what's coming up for us. Or like we're thinking something that's having an impact on our emotions. Like, oh, I'm not a good person. Right. And I think that he doesn't really learn that skill and that be, could, could be because like he's constantly under the fear of like something bad's going to happen to me if I like leave this place or I do anything I want to do. Right, because it did. He made one choice to leave and everything bad did happen after that but it exactly. wasn't necessarily his choice but of course that wouldn't be a far leap for a little kid to, to make. Yeah. I left and bad things happened. Yeah, and we're asking a lot of a nine, or they're asking a lot of a nine-year-old mm-hmm. um, which you know, there's a very, some very mature nine-year-olds out there. There are. But then there's people that are uh, 36, 37, 38 who Act like a nine-year-old. Haven't really got there yet. Yeah. So I think for him, he really doesn't deal with those emotions. And anytime he feels like that's slighted, like you can start to see it um, when he gets the uh, initial reject or the the second rejection from the Jedi Council. Like you can kind of see him almost kind of shift back to like a little kid. Or anytime like he feels like he gets slighted, like sometimes Padme says things that kind of you can tell irritate him. I forget what it was, but she like put him in 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 his place once. Essentially, she was saying still he was still like learning. He wasn't a Jedi yet, but he introduced himself as a Jedi, and she called him out on it and was like, "Dude, burn!" Like he. 
you could see in his in his face, he was like, oh, the ultimate like slight. That's part of it. Like he has that rejection. Like none of us like to be rejected, but none of us maybe deal with it the way that and he deals with it. Like for him, it's very deeply personal. That's where he starts to struggle with emotions. And I think for him to deal with those emotions, he comes up with some defense mechanisms, essentially is what we call them. And the two that I really see for him is acting out behaviors. So acting out behaviors for him is essentially the idea of like the wild stuff that they talk about him doing. Um, like really putting himself almost in danger situations. Like there's a scene where he kind of like jumps out of one of the space. Uh, oh, he jumps out like the speeder. Yeah, he jumps like out literally of the speeder. just diving like down like a million feet. Yeah. Exactly. And I wonder. There was part of me that wonders like, what would make him do that? Like, is he doing it because he wants to show everybody how great he is, or is it because like I'm worried that something bad's going to happen to Obi Wan, so I have to. I don't know what to do with all this, so I just jump out. And right. It'll work out. <laughs> when you watch any movie, can you just watch as a normal moviegoer anymore? Are you watching for psychology? I, I can. I mean, I, I can turn it off. Much like, you know, we can all turn off what we do sometimes. Right, but right. when I went back and I started to watch these, I found, like, I watched it very differently. Like, I started to pay attention to things that I've never really paid attention to So you before. watch it, you definitely learn on on a different level when you're watching for, when you're watching for something. Yeah. Like when you're bringing this stuff up, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. And the first time I'm watching, I'm like, cool, he jumped out of a car and he was able to control himself and he landed. Cool. Yeah. Um, but you're when, when we went back and we decided we are going to do a show, we went back and watched a lot of these movies and now you're watching them differently. Yeah. And I'm not talking to you about the stuff, the notes that you're making until we record. Yes. Because I want to be the voice of the audience. I want to be, yeah, I saw the movies. I kind of know them. I'm not an expert. I'm definitely not a, psych- a psychology expert. But, so that's got to be really interesting to watch a movie again for the first time through a new lens. Yeah. When I started doing this, I really didn't realize like how difficult it was going to be. Like I had sat down at a day and I kind of watched all six in a row and I was like, holy, like I was kind of exhausted and I had pages and pages of notes that as I thought about it, like I never would have thought to do this because I don't know for you, but when I go to a movie, I want to be entertained. Yeah. Like that's what I want to do. I want to be taken along for a ride. Exactly. I don't want to think, I don't want to look into things. I want to see how we get to the end, right. you know, and what the end, you know, what the roller coaster looks like essentially. But the reason you give a crap about a character is because they have a history. They have exactly. to have something. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things like when I, when I compare uh, Darth Vader to Luke Skywalker like Darth Vader there's things that have to happen for him to become a bad guy but like when there's a good guy good guy's kind of easy like, right. it's just, like we all just assume like oh he's a good guy in the westerns it was because he wore the white hat you know or there's a small introduction it's like well this guy is going to be our hero essentially you know, right not so many words and like okay we just take it but there's no path to being a good guy it's just right. kind of like assumed we're a bad guy there has to be things that why? happen along the way why 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 why, why? exactly you know, why is this one person you know deviant and so far to the left or to the right from everybody else that he does these crazy evil things mm-hmm. and you want to know that why keeps you up at night exactly like wh- how did we get to this place right uh, gonna take a quick break when we come back we want to talk defense mechanisms we're gonna start using psychology terms but I won't let Jamie get too much uh, up into his own head I'll reel him back in to regular people words uh, we'll be back on Cinema Psych don't move uh, you've had to pee for like 10 minutes now's a good time to go to the bathroom We'll be back on Cinema Psych after this. This is a placeholder. This holds the place of what will come later, like a commercial or a public service announcement. Or me rambling into a microphone in my room by myself. You get the idea. Oh, now it's time to go back to the show. Hey, we're back. Did you miss us? Back to psychology and movies. On Cinema Psych. And we're back on Cinema Psych here with Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh. I am uh, Jimmy McKay, and we are talking about the man, the myth, the legend with a lightsaber, Lord Vader. 
We talked about the attachments, the roles of rejection played in Darth's life. Essentially the things that got him to the point where he acted out as a giant planet-killing lord of the dark side. Exactly. The uh, baddest man in the universe. The baddest man in the universe with the cool breathing apparatus. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about some defense mechanisms or yeah. the, the things he does because of the things that were done to him. Mm -hmm. And that's really what a defense mechanism or give us give us yeah. the clinical definition of what a defense mechanism is. So a defense mechanism essentially is like, if we'll get into it, like the idea of our ego. So Freud talked about three different things. The, the ego, the superego. Okay. So that basically the thing that triggers us is anxiety. It lets us know like something's going on, something we need to deal with. The anxiety is overwhelming for the ego. It might engage in a defense mechanisms. And there's different different types of defense mechanisms. There's what we like to call primitive ones, which ones we might develop as like little children. The okay, kind of deal like with what? Lives. So like uh, two we're talking about uh, today, uh, acting out, which we've already discussed a little bit about, and uh, one of them is omnipotent control. There might be the fact of like denial. Like something didn't happen to me. Like that's a, that's something that maybe a kid would think about. Like, oh, this, this didn't happen. Ignore it. Ignore it. Where a more sophisticated one or a, a secondary defense would be like, repression. I know this this happened, but I can't really deal with this right now. So I'm going to put it over here. And sometimes people get back to it. Sometimes people don't get back and to it. And then I'm assuming sometimes it just comes out. It rears its little head, yeah. probably in stressful situations. Exactly. And I mean, for a lot of people, it just comes out, it might come out as something different. So it might come out as anxiety. It might come out as depression. It might come out as like stomach aches, you know, but it's going to come out eventually. Like when we have emotions, it's something that's telling us to do something. Okay. Um, or something that we need to pay a little bit of attention to. But depending on where we are or how we learn things, these defenses protect us from this overwhelming anxiety. Um, and two of the ones that he engages in or uses is essentially acting out. So acting out is this, is the idea of, I can't say it, so I'm going to do it, essentially. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, so like I don't have the words for this at this point in time, so I'm going to act it out. So, so, so would it be like safe to say like anything a kid would do? Because a lot of times kids don't know how to use their words, mm -hmm. so they just throw a tantrum, they cry, they throw yeah. and they break things, they yell and scream, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they shut down completely. Exactly. Like, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm just going to do something, and hopefully you pick up the message, And for Darth Vader, it's blow planets up and kill people with lightsabers <laughs> and choke them from across the room with the force. Yeah, or, or it could be for him like, I can't tell you how good I am as a person, so I'm going to show you. I'm going to jump out of a, I'm going to jump out of a spaceship okay. and try and save the day, essentially. Gotcha, gotcha. Or I'm going to do all of these things to show you how good I am because I can't tell you or you don't believe me. Because he had that a couple times in his life. He was told yeah. he's going to be the one, mm -hmm. not to rip off the Matrix or anything, but he's going to be the <laughs> thing that comes around and saves everybody. And then he's constantly told by similarly, essentially those same people, the Jedi, no, you can't do it, not yet, not now, not mm -hmm. ever. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to do it. Because so how, how would you even verbalize that? You can't. So of course he's going to act out. Yeah. Like, I'll show you. I'll show Got you it. I can do it. And they talk about like fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. But you know, Yoda sounds way cooler. Way cooler than way, I do. Way cooler than Way us. cooler. And he has it like backwards. Yeah. When I hear that, like I kind of agree with him, but I kind of don't agree with him because I think that fear helps us. It's good to have fear. Like fear is what, if we're afraid we're going to fail a test, like we're going to study for a test. Fear pushes us to do things that we might not normally do, but also fear gets in the way of things that we maybe should do. So what do you tell a patient, you know, somebody laying on your couch, what are some strategies you give them to deal with that fear? Because yeah, I can see fear could lead me, and I just went through grad school, to study for a test for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. It could also lead me, I've had this before, you have like a you have a pile of work in front of you, and you're afraid, and you got a deadline, and you just kind of sit there and play video games. Yeah. It's almost like I just repress that, or I push it to the side. Yeah, I, I can't deal with this right now, so I'm going to engage in something else that's going to make me feel okay. Man, I act out a lot, though. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. I mean, I've known you for a little bit. In that sense, like we all act out, okay? We all do these types of defense mechanisms that we're probably going to talk about over the course of what we do. It doesn't make it bad, okay? When it's bad is like when that's the only one that we use. Okay. You know? 
No, because there's because people do. They use the term defense mechanisms. You know, I'm talking about lay people mm-hmm. using a psychological term, defense mechanism. And for me, it's always kind of seems like a bad thing. Like for me, I talk a lot. That's my defense mechanism when I'm, you know, shy or, you mm-hmm. know, vulnerable in a, in, a, in a new situation. So I talk and talk and talk. But that's how I deal with it. So maybe yeah. my defense mechanism isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, it works for you. Like it, it does good things for you. Like it, we'll take that example of like you talk to people. Like you're really good at that. You're really good at engaging people. So like a defense mechanism doesn't have to be bad. And I think that's one of the things that when people think about mental health and things like that, like they hear these terms like anxiety, depression, things like that. Like we all experience this. Like because you feel anxious or because you feel depressed doesn't make you a bad person doesn't make you a weak person and it, just because you're seeking help for those things doesn't make you a bad person no. in fact it's probably ahead of the curve yeah and I, when i think about it and i tell people all the time it, it basically means like your situational stress so the things that are going on in your life is overwhelming your coping mechanisms say That's it again it. so your situational stress is overwhelming, overwhelming your coping, coping mechanisms okay so you've got something going on you don't know how to deal with it something's gonna give yeah something's gonna give so it's gonna make you feel down it's going to make you feel anxious, you know, maybe on the far end of the continuum, you move into a place of like psychosis and things like that. But like, we're all going to have situations that we don't know how to deal with. And sometimes we have to invite a friend like, Hey, can you help me out? Or we talk to a parent, a mentor or whatever it may be like, can you help me out with this? But sometimes we don't have those things in our life. We just shut down. Gotcha. All right. So we have acting out. We know how Darth Vader does yeah. that. He you know, goes around destroying worlds. What's uh, something else he uses as a defense mechanism? So the other one that I really found um, was the idea of omnipotent. <laughs> Omnipotent control. Omnipotent control. Omnipotent control. It's hard to say, but fun to explain. Exactly. So what does omnipotent control mean? So basically, as a kid, okay, so as a young baby, when we get hungry, we cry, right? Right. Food shows up. It could be uh, mom, could be bottle, could be whatever it may be. A little kid thinks that they did that, okay? They have no, what we call like external understanding of control, essentially. They believe that if they do something whatever shows up is because of what they did. And you can't really fault them for that logic no, because I they, cry and I get fed. Exactly. I don't know that. Like I'm cold. I'm going to start screaming. Someone's going to come in and put a blanket on me. Okay. So they developed this idea, way of thinking that essentially says like, if I have an action, I can influence the future. I can influence other people. And we kind of grow out of it. I mean, we have those things like young kids, like, oh, step on a crack and you break your mother's back. Right. You know, we can step on as many cracks as we want. It's not going to influence whether our moms are injured, essentially. Right. But I think that this shows up in even in other areas of our life when we get a little older. Like, have you ever had the feeling, I don't know, like, I got a good feeling about this. Sure. You put down a hundred bucks on like sure. black 21 or something like right. that. And it comes black 21. Some people are like, oh, I, I did that. I willed that into existence. Exactly. I, you didn't. It was luck. So, but sometimes we get those like, oh, I got a feeling that things are going to work out. When they might work out, they might not work out. But it, the, the sense that you feel like you can control that, that's what I think that he kind of engages in a lot. And, and it's he's around, also fed into it because he's told he's the one. Yeah, he's powerful. And the emperor really plays on it like, I can help you save people who are dying, you know, which kind of feeds into that. Because that's the one thing he wants. That's the one thing he wants. And it's almost like a godlike power, omnipotent. And I think that that's the one that he engages in the most because he believes that he should, I mean, he says, I should, I should be able to stop people from dying. Like when he talks about his mom, when she dies, or when he talks about Padme, like he truly believes that he has the influence to change events that he has no control over. And I think that's, that's the thinking of a little kid. Like I said, we might have those moments like, oh, I felt like I, I knew I was going to get lucky. So I just did that. 
Okay. But if that's how you operate your entire life and everything that you do, it's going to have a negative impact on you, essentially. So I think that for him, he really, really believes like he can have influence over all all of these things in his world. Like he should be the one to find the rebels and take them down. Like he's the only one that can do that. Not true. He's got, you know, tens of thousands of stormtroopers and things like that. That's the mechanism because if he feels he's in control, he's safe. Um, so what would you do to tell a patient who may be, you know, experiencing acting out? What are some, th- some things that you leave with patients or how do you work with patients who are, who are using that as a defense mechanism? I think for them, it's just like, what are you trying to tell me? You know, if you come in and you're in crisis, trying to tell me you're in crisis, well, let's, let's deal with that. Let's deal with how you're feeling right now so that you're not engaging in behaviors that, you know, could be self-destructive for you. Like if you're feeling out of control, Let's talk about that feeling of out of control. Let's not, let's not, you know, engage in behaviors that, you know, could become more destructive for you, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially bringing the individual in and saying, all right, this is what you're doing. It doesn't match up with how you're feeling. Okay. So let's talk about it, you know, and it's, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to, you know, look at you funny or look at you sideways because you do it. It's just, you do it. Is there another way? Is it having a negative impact on your life? All right. If it's having a negative impact on your life, can we do it differently? Can you just say, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I didn't like when you did that as opposed to. You feel rejected and you go hit someone's car with a sledgehammer or something like that. You know, that's a very extreme example. But, you know, can you use words as opposed to behaviors that may be self-destructive? So use your words is a phrase you hear with parents and kids all the time when the kids have a meltdown. Use your words. Use your words. But that's what that's what therapy sessions are about is trying to get the person to, I guess, self-realize what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah, I think part of it is like, you know, this is what I think this is what I feel and it's it's okay. And I think part of it is like being able to talk out some situations that you might not be able to talk out in a scenario where the person's only interest is your well-being. Because in life, obviously with your parents, <laughs> I mean, the hope is that they're very one-sided, like they're always on your side or, or the people that are in your life who are always going to tear you down. Right? Some people always have an agenda. Where a therapist, a psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker, I tell people, you are the most important person in my life for the next 50 minutes. I'm going to be here. I'm going to, if you do bad stuff, it's not going to make me run for the hills. It's not going to make me not care about you anymore because my best interest is in you. Mm -hmm. And you don't often get that. You have a person's undivided attention for 50 minutes. To to help you strategize on how to get... Yeah. things in order in your life. Exactly. Like this is a problem. How can we work with it? Gotcha. Uh, final thoughts, the importance of emotions and dealing with them. We talked a little bit about that. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it. I think that sometimes we feel overwhelmed by really strong emotions. Life yeah. happens. Life happens. It sucks a lot of times. Exactly. But like, you can fix it. Yeah. Like we feel sad and it's okay to feel sad. We feel angry. It's okay to feel angry. You know, sometimes we even feel rageful. Sometimes people cut us off on the on the highway and we're like, man, I'd love to drive after that person, pull them out of their car and beat them to death. Right. You don't do it. Okay. Right. Just because we have a strong emotion doesn't mean we have to engage in that behavior essentially. So it's like, okay, this is a strong emotion that I feel. What do I want to do with it? And if we don't, like those strong emotions are eventually going to come out, but they're going to come out in a different way. They're going to come out, as I said before, making us feel anxious. They could have, you know, some somatic problems, you know, just feeling sick and things like that. But like we can't push this stuff down forever because it's eventually going to come out. Yeah. And it could come out in some self-destructive behaviors. Could come out in some self-destructive behaviors. Like if people are like medicating. Yeah. Like if you're having a problem and you're feeling some sort of way, like if you drink it away, you're not going to feel that you might feel in the morning (laughs) for right now. I'm okay. Using air quotes. I'm okay for right now, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm okay because I'm not thinking about the thing that's bothering me. Right. But it's going to be there when you wake up in the morning, essentially. Gotcha. First episode with uh, the Lord Darth Vader. Uh, I think we can help this guy. Well, we didn't have to do anything. I mean, Luke did it. At right. the end of Return of the Jedi, he gave him that piece of like, I'm okay. 
And I think that he made a healthy attachment and he realized like, well, maybe I did some bad stuff. I do feel a little bit at the return of the Jedi. Like they just kind of wipe away all the horrible stuff that he's done. <laughs> you're essentially the worst guy in the universe. Yeah, you did a lot of bad yes, stuff. it's okay because you're sorry. Exactly. Like, okay, we'll look, at the, we'll look at the good side. And then he was able to rear himself back. Gotcha. We talked a lot about uh, of emotions and how they come into play. The stuff that happens to you in your life is ultimately going to guide what happens going forward. But if you're ever feeling like uh, overcome with emotion, you don't know how to handle it, and you might be doing something self-destructive to yourself, uh, there's always someone that's going to listen, and that's going to be a qualified medical professional. But if it's late at night and you want to talk to someone, there's a line for that. It's an 800 number, one 800 273-8255 and that is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's also a website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org and the number one more time, 1-800-273-8255. What do you say to people when they need to find someone to talk to? Yeah, I would just say if you have insurance, like you can look through your insurance to find someone, but you can find anyone. It can be a psychiatrist, psychologist, it can be a therapist, it can be a social worker. You know, if you're struggling and you need a little bit of help and, you know, sometimes I always tell people like, help doesn't mean you need to see a professional, it just could be reaching out to someone, but sure. if you feel like you want that assistance that you want that you know 50 minutes to yourself with someone else once a week or twice a week use your insurance to find someone or you know just google psychology there's psychology today you can find people there's a lot of different places in your area that I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put some information up on the other uh, website uh, that coincides with this podcast appreciate you guys listening in yes. on episode number one for cinema psych i think we did okay i think i think we made it through i think we made it through uh who are we going to do next Episode number two. How do you do Darth Vader and not the other side? We could we could go Luke Skywalker. Let's go Luke Skywalker. Episode two. We hope you join us for that. Uh, for Jamie Hagenbaugh, I'm Drew McKay on Cinema Psych. Thanks for listening. This is the part of the show where we give you the credits. Super fun part. This show is produced by PT Pinecast LLC with your hosts, Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh and Jimmy McKay. That's me. Feel free to check out our website once we get around to getting one. Nothing that you heard here should be taken as professional advice. If you're having a mental health issue, seek help from a qualified professional. Our lawyers made us say that.